that is true. No one compares to you. God is amazing. Amen. Amen. Come on, brothers, sisters, join me in a word of prayer. Eternal God, our Father, we love you. For God, you are amazing. And no one, absolutely no one, compares to you. Or, as the old saints used to say, Lord, there was none, absolutely none, like unto you. So thank you, God, for being who you are. Consistently. Lord, that you are not swayed or moved by our actions or behavior, God. You simply are, God, because that is who you are. And we are thankful for that. Thank you, God, for being true. Thank you for being a way maker. Thank you, God, for loving us, God, when we weren't always lovable. Just thank you for being God. And Lord, all of us here today are witnesses and recipients of that great love. Lord, that carries us, that keeps us, sustains us, empowers us, that strengthens us. So God, thank you for this time that we've been able to gather to express our gratitude. God, may you fill our hearts. Forgive us for the times, the seasons, and the days, Lord, when we have given it away to others and to other things. But thank you, God, that you are unlike man, that you did not give up on us. That when we turned away, God, you came close. You're amazing. Now, God, as we move now into this moment of preaching, I ask, God, that you punish not your people for the frailty of your preacher. For, God, I am keenly aware, Lord, that I am not able, but, God, you are. Lord, I know that I am not worthy, but, God, you are. But, God, I am willing. So, Lord, take now this willing servant, and may your will be done in and through me. And God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. For, oh God, you are our strength and our redeemer. We love you, Lord. And it's in your name we do humbly pray. Let every heart say amen. Amen, amen and amen. Amen. Well, my brothers and sisters, we are now in week number two of this series that we are calling The New Normal. And um, what we know is that um, normal is now nothing like what it used to be. That the world that we used to live in prior to the global pandemic no longer exists. And we spent uh, year, uh, almost a year and a half now uttering the words, I can't wait. 
I hope for the world to return or get back to normal. Only to discover that with uh, everything that we are experiencing, the world will never be what it was before. Not, not the world that we see in our communities, not the global world, not the political world, not the church world. Uh, the statistics say that only 30% of Christians have returned to physical worship. We don't know what that will look like. This is a new normal. So last week we talked about a return to normal. Today we're going to talk about it's time for a new normal. It's time for a new normal. So I ask if you join with me, if you will, in the book, The Prophet Haggai, chapter 1. Haggai, chapter 1. One reading from the New International Version, and of course, it will be available for you on the screen. Remember, we are digging into the post-exilic books to figure out what happened with the people of God after they were delivered back into the world where they came from and tried to discover a new normal for themselves. And during that time period, a prophet arose uh, in the land of Judah sent by God to deliver a message to God's people, and this is what we'll be dealing with today. The book of Haggai, chapter 1. We're going to be reading it in its entirety. Don't worry, it's only 15 verses. I know that it's a little lengthy, but we're going to read it because I think that it is helpful for us uh, in this time. Plus, I got the mic, so I'm just going to do it anyway. <laughs> Haggai, chapter 1, reading from the NIV. This is what you'll find. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jadadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thoughts to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their due. And the earth, its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai. Because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the Lord, to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. 
So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. It is time for a new normal. Exactly one year prior to his brutal assassination on April 4th, 1967, Dr. King gave a historic speech to a group of clergymen at the historic uh, Riverside Church in New York City. Uh, what you may not know is that prior to his assassination, at least the last couple of years, Dr. King's approval level was at its lowest that it's ever been. The nonviolent movement had halted in momentum, and people became disenfranchised with Dr. King. They were no longer inspired by him. The Black Power movement was gaining strength, and things had slowed down tremendously for him. But not only that, in his campaign in opposition of the Vietnam War, even some of Dr. King's closest friends began to speak against Dr. King and to tell them that Dr. King, they didn't think that it was wise for him to be in opposition of the Vietnam War. And so on this day, exactly one year prior to his assassination, he stands before these clergymen at the Riverside Church in Manhattan in New York City, and he delivers this speech called Beyond Vietnam. And in this speech, there's a sm small section I'd like to share with you that I think captures not only what motivated Dr. King during that time, but I believe what inspired him and motivated the entirety of the life and his work. Listen to his words. Dr. King says, we are now faced with the fact that tomorrow is today. We are confronted with the fierce urgency of now. In this unfolding conundrum of life and history, there is such thing as being too late. Procrastination is still the thief of time. Life often leaves us standing bare, naked and dejected with a lost opportunity. I thought about those words as I read the prophet Haggai's message that he delivered from God. I believe that Dr. King's words echoed the warning that I feel God was issuing to his people as they were trying to figure out their next move in chapter 1 of Haggai. These people that now Haggai, for the first time, we hear called the remnant. The remnant. Now, if you were here, present and awake last week, you might remember that we talked about what led them here. It's been 70 years since the Babylonian exile had taken place, and now the people of God found themselves issuing or following the call issued by God to return to Judah to rebuild the Lord's temple. It's been 70 years of Babylonian oppression. God raised up a king by the name of Cyrus, king of Persia. Persia conquers Babylon. The Lord moves uh, King Cyrus's heart. He issues a call, and the people go back to Judah, and they begin to build the temple of the Lord. If you remember last week, we talked about how they were so excited, not in the completion of the temple, but simply because of the completed foundation of the temple. And that there were, there was tremendous sound erupting from the people, sounds of both joy for those who were not there before the old temple had been there, but also the weeping tears of those who were there who remember Solomon's temple in all of its grandeur. Well, 
It seems as though they were on the path to doing a great work for God, that things were headed in the right direction. And if you read just a little bit further, we continued or ended at Ezra chapter 3. If you flip the page into Ezra chapter 4, you'll discover that that energy was short-lived. What happens is once this excitement erupts and the people see what's going on, a people who were neighbors to the Jews in the land there, we know them as Samaritans in the New Testament. The Samaritans, they reached out to the people of God, to the Jews, and they say, hey, man, listen, we see what you're doing. We serve your God. How about you let us join in on the work that you are doing? Now, from the naked eye, it appears as though that's an admirable request. That they're asking this question because they truly want to be an assistance of what they're doing. But what you'll discover is two of the characters that we see here today, Zerubbabel and Joshua, they reject the uh, request of the Samaritan people. Now, it seems like that is, that, that's, that's nonsensical. Why? You've got some additional hands, perhaps some additional resources that could contribute to this great work that we are seeing. But there's something else there. What they see is that the Samaritans' request wasn't as admirable as it seems. The Samaritans, although they say they are followers of Jehovah God, they are also more pagan than servers of Jehovah God. And what they would do is they would go in any environment and they would serve whatever God that was present in that region. So when the Jews see the request, they see that it is not an honorable request, that you don't serve our God, you serve any God that you can get connected or close to for your own benefit. So rather than aligning themselves with those who do not have the most admirable intentions, the people of God, the Jews, say, no, no, baby, that's okay, we don't need your help at all. Now listen, I can move a little further past this, or quickly past this, but I feel like some of y'all don't get what's going on here. Yeah, that, this, is, this is an attitude about what we know as integrity. That there are times in your life where it is okay for Lottie Dottie and everybody to partner with you and what's going on. But when it comes to you pursuing the purposes of God, what you need to know is that you've got to be kingly aware of those whom you partner with if you're moving towards God's purpose. Everybody can't be with you if you're working towards God's purposes because what you need to know is I need to know that when it comes to making decisions about the developments that come, I need to make sure that we are drawing from the same well. Yeah, yeah. And if the well that you are drawing from is not founded on the principles, the love, the word of God, the heart and the spirit of God, well, I could use your assistance, but listen, if God called me to it, I trust him to carry me through it. Okay, okay, okay. Um, um, let me give it to you in terms that perhaps you're more familiar with. Flip over to the New Testament, you'll see the Apostle Paul. We only talk about this in terms of marriage and, 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 and relationships, that to be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Understanding that that is more broad than just marital relationships or romantic relationships, you need to make sure if you are pursuing God's purposes that you are equally yoked together with the right people. 
I need to make sure that when, when the rubber meets the road, I need to make sure that when conflict arises, I need to make sure that when things come this way, I'm not compromising my integrity. I am not putting myself in a compromised position. I need to make sure that the will of the Lord is what we're drawing from so that we get to where God is calling us to. I got to move on. I got to move on. They, they receive opposition from the Samaritan people, and this halts to work. I'm going to share something with you, and I'm almost embarrassed to do so because I recognize you're an intelligent people, and perhaps this is something that you already know. In fact, if you've been in church any length of time, you understand this, but maybe you need a little bit of a refresher course. Keep in mind that they're, they're, they're moving in a trajectory to start this great work or do this great work for God. And when they make just any effort moving forward, opposition comes. And you know that whenever you try to do something for the Lord, opposition always comes. I know you already know it. You've been in church any length of time. You know how it is. In fact, man, some of us know it so much that even when something good happens, you immediately start looking for trouble to rear its ugly head. You start searching for it because things have gone too well, man. Things are working out too well. You start, okay, something's about to happen. You know that it's going to come. Whenever you are pursuing God's purposes, problems will pursue you. That, 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 that's, that's pretty normal. The issue within our text today, the issue with what the Jews are going through, is not necessarily that trouble and opposition comes. It's about the longevity of the problems. When we make our way from Ezra chapter 4, where the opposition first arises, to Haggai chapter 1, it's been 15 years since they've done anything because of the opposition that's come. So it's not about the problem, it's about the longevity. Sometimes trouble just won't go away. No matter how dis much you dismiss them, you can, you can, I mean, you can put them on silent, leave them on red, you can block them, you can do whatever you're supposed to do, you're on your end. But it seems like problems will pursue you, knock on your door, show up at the most inopportune times to figure out how to disrupt whatever it is that you are pursuing for God. What you need to know is that God called you, God created you for whatever it is that he is calling you to pursue. And trouble is going to come as sure as flavor flavor black and ugly. Trouble is going to find you, but you've got to make sure that no matter how great the problem is, that your trust for God is greater. Here's what I feel like the people of God, where they missed it. I feel like they missed reflecting on what God had called them to. I mean, trouble's going to come always, but God called them to the moment and made a promise and commitment to them in return. God said, listen, this is what you're going to have to deal with. And I know that problems are going to arise, but this is what I'm calling you towards. I know that it's been a long road. It's been 16, 17 months. I know the Delta variant is raging. I know that, that jobs and that poverty is still going to, all these things are true, but God still God still called you to wherever you are. If you think that I'm just on one of my tangents today, understand this is the culture of the people that we're reading. This is exactly what they're going through. Can I tell you historically at this time what's going on? They've got their own variants that they're dealing with here. It's been 15 years. It's been 15 years since Cyrus gave his edict. And the stimulus payments that he gave them, they've all run out. 
All the unemployment benefits are gone. The economy has taken a tremendous blow. When we find them in Haggai chapter 1, what you'll discover historically at this time is that the nation of Persia had just finished a long war with Egypt. The troops have been withdrawn and brought back into the land, and the people are suffering the impacts of what's going on in the greater world. The people of God, they're experiencing physically, mentally, and emotionally the pressures of all these things. And for some reason, in the midst of everything that's going on, with all the pressure, with all these variances coming up against them, the Lord says, hey, I have not forgotten what I asked you to do. Build my temple. Puzzled me, God. God says, listen, I know, I know, I see everything that's going on. I saw it before it happened, but I still have work for you to do. Yeah, but they're still in a pretty weak space. And in Ezra chapter 4, it says that the enemies of the Jews set out to discourage them. I love that. I love that because if you break that down, if you, if you unpack the word discourage, what you'll discover is that it also means they weakened their hands, which basically means is that they were called to something great and they didn't have the spirit to fight anymore. It was problems coming from everywhere. They were shooting darts from themselves, but they also paid people to bring problems to them. They bribed public officials to come to halt the work, and they were sitting there experiencing problems from every potential angle within their lives, and it weakened their hands. I know somebody in here knows about weakened hands, right? Right? Okay, okay, let me, let me share with you. Let me share with you. Thank you, beautiful. What happened is... Um, I read some time ago about a, an amateur boxer, and uh, he was coming up, James, on the greatest fight of his career, one that could potentially propel his career fast into the future. He was excited about this, this great fight. He had been working hard and preparing for it, and he couldn't wait, man, but the week before the fight came, things just started happening. He, he didn't make much money boxing, so he had two jobs. He had a full-time job and a part-time job. Well, he was incessantly late to his part-time job because he would always have to run there, leaving from his full-time job. And on Tuesday of that week, he got fired from his part-time job. He needed both jobs because when he went home, there he had a young wife and a newborn child. She was unable to work, and so his, his resources, what he brought home, provided for the entire family. Money was always tight. They were always fighting because the bills came in much quicker and much faster than every paycheck could ever make its way through the door. They were bickering and fighting. There was a lot of pressure on this man to provide for his new wife and his new baby, and he was struggling at every turn and to make matters work on the Friday prior to the fight, he received a phone call from his mother where his little brother had been recently arrested for stealing a car with some friends. It's been a long week for him. Saturday night comes. It's the main event. He makes it to the ring, and with a minute and 30 seconds, he is down on the ground with a TKO, a technical knockout. They don't know what's happening. They expected him to win. He was, he, was, he was the one who was proven to be the best contested in the fight. And so all of the media personalities in the area waited for him to come out of the locker room after the fight was finished. He exited the locker room. They came up to him. And the first question someone asked was, what happened? And his words was real simple. I have no more fight left in me. I feel like, man, there's somebody in here today or somebody watching virtually, that's your story. 
It's been a rough 16, 17 months. It's been rough making it from month to month. It's been a struggle trying to get there. You feel the pressures from work and unemployment. You feel the pressures from the coronavirus. You feel the pressures from the community, the pressures from watching what's happening around our city and around our nation. And you feel like on every and any given day that I have no more fight left in me. I want you to know this, my brothers and sisters. If that is you, you need to know. I don't have an answer for you immediately, only but God. But what I will tell you this is if you're watching by stream, if you're here in person, what you need to know is that you're not alone. There's somebody in here right now. They too have no more fight left. There's somebody else streaming with you right now. They too have no more fight left in them. And the enemy has set out to weaken their hands, to weaken your hands, because what he desires from you is for you to give up and for you to stop fighting. My brothers and sisters, no matter your story, no matter your struggle, what you cannot do is stop fighting. What I feel like God is saying to them as he's communicating with them through the prophet Haggai, when he says to them and issues this edict for them to begin the work, is that what I need you to see is that your ability or your inability to continue to fight is really more of a reflection of our relationship. Because if you believe that God has brought you somewhere, when you begin fighting, you then believe that God has given up on you. So the more that you fight... The more that you wake up each and every morning, the more that you continue to try, the more that you give a testimony to God, to the world, and to the devil that God called me to this and I will not give up. For our biblical characters, this entire period, season, has been filled with uncertainty and instability not unlike ours. As much as they've tried to return to normal, they had to deal with all of their variants of the days. Plenty of jobs hired, but none of them paid a living wage. What's the point in working if I'm going to be poor? Anyhow, then God speaks up. And he says this to his people. He says in verse 4, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin. Wait a minute, God. I've got no more fight left in me. It's been 15 years of discouragement and constant letdown. What do you mean you still want your temple? God says, your plans may have changed because of the opposition, because resources are low, because your hands have been weakened, but my plans have not changed at all. I think that's something great about our God. That's something that you need to be encouraged and comforted by, that although there may be a delay in God's design, God's desire is still that his plan be completed, that things get done. Be certain of that, beloved, that when God sees all the shifting circumstances of your reality, he knew that it was going to happen before you were even aware that it existed. And God issued his plan and his call knowing what was coming your way. And he still wants his plan to be completed. He knew it was going to happen. God knew the pandemic before the pandemic. God knew your problems before your problems arose. God knew that you would be jobless before you lost the job. God knew you'd struggle financially before you started to struggle. He saw it all before it came, and his plan, his call did not change because your shifting circumstances. God still says, I want what I want. 
I want my temple. You need to be comforted by that. That's where the Jews missed the opportunity to grab some hope. One of the primary tools at your disposal as you go back through life is to look back and remember that whatever God has said and whatever God has done, he brought you to the place right where you are and his expectations has not changed. Therefore, when money gets low, remember God brought you here. And he's still Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God provides. When enemies arise, remember that God called you, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Also remember that the Lord will fight your battles, and so whatever haters going to do, let them do that. God is on the battlefield. When you can't see your way out, when you don't know how things will work out, remember what the Lord says through the prophet David. Yea, though walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The Lord is with you no matter what you are going through. Be certain of that, beloved, that whatever God had called, that whatever God is doing, the only thing that can happen when God opens his mouth is the thing must come to pass. It has to happen. Nobody can stop him. Not only, not only does it say something about God's desire for his desire to be done, but it also says something about God's expectation and what he sees in you. Notice what he sees in you. God sees all the opposition that you face. God sees that your resources are low. God sees that time is short. God sees that your hands have been weakened, and yet he says, you can do it. (laughs) God says, I know everything that you are experiencing, but I still believe that you can. I know that it's been 15, 20, 25 years. I know that you gave up a long time ago, but just because you gave up don't mean that I have. You still can. God's expectation is that that call that he gave you, that he placed on your heart so many years ago, God still has that expectation that it'll be done. You may have put it on the back burner, but God says, I still have that expectation of you that you can get it done. God knows the challenges that you face. He knows the limitations that you have, and yet God is unmoved in what he desires for you. I, I've learned this over time. As a matter of fact, man, if you've been alive for any length of time, you learn this too. Here's what you need to know in case you're unaware. There's never enough time. You always need more. You never have enough resources. You'll always need more. The only right time it's the time that you have, which is now time. It's, it's time right now for you to do what God called you to do. You can make up every excuse up under the heavens and the earth, and they even are justifiable and make sense, but that doesn't change the reality of what God desires for you. Because what you need to know about your God, and not necessarily about yourself, is that the shifting conditions and circumstances don't change who God is. And so if you're so busy looking at the shifting circumstances of life, rather than looking at your God, that you always feel like you don't have enough time, enough resources, and that you can't make your way through. But if you just take a moment and look at your God, If you look at what God can do with nothing, if you look at what God can do with with a little bit, if you look at what God can do with a limited amount of time, you'll discover that when you woke up this morning, you had everything that you need to do what God called you to do. Ah. Unfortunately, that's not the entirety of the story. Listen to what God says to them. He says, why your house nice? (laughs) 
why are you, why you, why are you bawling and I'm barely making it? Why, why are you looking good? It says, your paneled houses. It just means it's fancy. Why, why your house? Why, why are you looking so good and, and we struggling over here? Which means then, yeah, it's been 15 years of issues and trouble and discouragement and weakened hands. But evidently, their hands weren't too weak that they couldn't do for themselves. Can I let you all know something? I'm, I'm just going to drop this in for a moment, please. Just I, I'm, I'm like Haggai. I'm just a messenger. Whenever resources are low, time is limited, and issues arise, the first place that suffers is the church. First place, first place. If Listen, here's what's going to happen, man. If ever there is a budgetary crisis, the first thing you try to figure out is, okay, God, I'll get you later. Uh, the first time that you're limited on time and you've got other obligations and you, you got to, you know, man, you got to, because, you know, little, little LeBron and Kobe, man, they're going to make it big. And so the first thing you're going to do is, okay, well, listen, man, we'll get back. We'll get back to God after, after the season, after, after this event, or after this turn. Uh, we'll, we'll always get back to God eventually. Thank God for virtual experiences because now we can, you know, we, can, we can maneuver a little bit. The first place that suffers whenever things become low is God. I believe that's what God has communicated to the people right here. Is that, yeah, uh, yeah I know, you're discouraged, yes. Resources are low. Yes, I, I get it. I get it. But evidently, over the last 15 years, you found a way to make a way. And what God is saying is you can make a way for yourselves, and why can't you find a way to do something with and for me? Well, why, why, can't, why can't you figure out a way how to fit me in your grand design and in your plan? But here's the thing. Don't get caught up on the physical structures. Don't think that this is about their physical homes and God's physical temple. Don't, don't think that this is about your, your physical time, your, your limited time, your resources, your money, and all those things. When we look at that, we miss the bigger picture, the greater story. What God is really saying to them is that when I look at the physical structures, what I really see is a reflection on the ruins of our relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, how many of you, when, when, when things get rough, how many of you rob the people that you're closest to of what they need when things get tight? You don't. What you do is you draw, draw closer to them. When money is low, when things are tight, when things are rough, those you love, you come closer to. You don't distance yourself from. What God is recognizing is that it's been 15 years of struggle, yes, but rather than coming together and figuring out a way to collectively build for me, you've decided that I was not enough for you and that our relationship wasn't that meaningful to you. So when the, when the rough times came, you distanced yourself from me rather than coming closer to me. The ruins are a reflection on the relationship. So what happened then is that when they saw what was happening and they wanted to return to a normal, they gave up on God. When opposition came, 
They gave up on God. They sat down on God. I wonder who I'm talking to today. I know I probably offended you. It's okay. I kind of meant to. I knew it when I was planning for it. I wonder if you're upset today because you're sitting there in your seat or you're watching on your computer and you're struggling because you know that you gave up on God. Yeah, God, God knew it was a global pandemic. He still wants you. God, God, God knew that money was going to get low. He still wants you. God knew that things was going to be the way that they are, that they would still say that our lives do not matter that he knew that the politicians were still going to turn their backs on us. God still knew that there was going to be these issues within our community and within our resources and that the world would not change for our betterment, that it would slowly turn away from us. God saw all those things before it ever happened, and God said he wanted you, and yet you gave up on God. God said, come back. Come back to me. I know, I know what you think. I know what you feel, but God says, I saw it before even happen, and I want you back. I want you to come rebuild, not the temple, but rebuild us. Let's, let's rebuild us. Let's, let's get back together. Let's commune once more. Let's connect again. Let's, let's have our relationship in the right space. Let's get back together. Don't, don't give up on God. So here's what happened. Here's what happened. Man, I got to hurry up. Um, what happened then is God, God saw where they were, and uh, he did a little something to gain their attention. You, you read this from verses 5 through 9. Listen to what the Lord says. He says, um, give careful thought to your ways. You planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your say ways. God says, listen, man, mind your manners. Listen, get yourself together. Pull yourself together. Go up to the mountains and bring down the timber. Your hands are not weak. And God says, go do the work. Go fight for this. Go to the mountains and bring back the timber. God didn't say go around the corner to the woods. He says, work your way up. Do something that would call you to utilize, to strip this in your body, to show me that I'm worth it. Go to the mountains and bring it down and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expect much, but see, it turned out to be little. Well, you brought home, the Lord says, I blew away. Why? Because the Lord Almighty because of my house, which remains in ruin, which each of you is busy with your own house. God, God says, listen, you keep it up. Yeah, yeah. Decide that you're not going to change. It's all right. You know, my mama used to say, I'll fix you back in the day. I, I, I'll fix you. The Lord says, okay, listen, go on and plant. It ain't going to grow. Go on and eat. I'll keep you hungry. Go on and drink. I'll make sure you remain thirsty. Put on clothes. Yeah, you'll never be fly enough. You'll never have enough. Go, go, go on and, and earn, but you never have enough money to hold you through the month. Whatever you try to do, God says, I'm going to ensure that it's not enough. Hi, guys, right at somebody's doorstep right now. You've been trying to figure out how to get there. You've been hustling and bustling and trying to figure out how to get there. You're exerting all the time and energy that's at your disposal, and it seems like no matter what you do, you just can't seem to get ahead. Perhaps you're in the same position as the Jews were, where no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you work, you continue to try to do it without God. And God has said, it is never going to come to a prosperous stance until you use me and make me a part of whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. 
God says, I'll blow it away. I'll blow, I'll blow it away. I'll blow it away. I thought about this. I know we got to go. Uh, uh, Leo Tolstoy, the great uh, Russian author, talks about uh, this story in a short story called How Much Man Does a Land Need? In this, he talks about this character by the name of Pahom, who is a poor character, a poor peasant man. He has two daughters. One of them remained with him. The other daughter, she married up, man. She, she you know, she, she, she got, you know, she, she married up. She comes home to visit, and uh, she has a conversation with her other sister, and she tells her about all the things that she has. The younger daughter who's home with her dad says, well, we don't need all that because we ain't got all the stress, all the troubles, more money, more problems. We good. Pahom hears it, and he's so excited to hear his daughter has a great perspective, but when he leaves the room, he has this internal conversation. Bishop, he says this to himself. He says that, um, I'm so happy then my daughter has this perspective, and he's praying to God, and he says that um, uh, we only need a little bit. He says, if I could just have a little land, listen to his words, if I could just have enough land, I won't even fear the devil. He's praying to God, but for some reason, the enemy heard his prayer. And what the enemy did is he laid something at the feet of Pahom, and Pahom picked it right up, a desire for ambition and for personal gain. He worked hard and began to grow his own personal game, and his ambition took a hold of him, so much so that he heard word about some, some rural farmers who had an unlimited amount of land that you could have for very little. Pahom makes his way to this land where he finds these, these great men. He approaches the chief and the elders of the village, and he says, listen, man, I'd like to buy some of your land. And they said this, well, listen, here, here's the price. It's a thousand rubles a day. And uh, Pahom says, they don't calculate right. Like, what, what do you mean a thousand rubles a day? I want to buy the land, not rent the land. They says, correct. It's a thousand rubles a day. He says, well, what does that mean? They says, here's what we do. You show up tomorrow at the crack of day. You start where you start at the beginning. And you have until the sun goes down to circle as much land as you can. And we get back to the point at which you started. That's how much land you own. And it'll cost you a thousand rubles. Pahom says, word? I said, yeah. So he comes up the next day, he stretches, he gets himself ready, and he takes off and he discovers, man, I can really do this. And so he had it in his mind about how far it was going to go, but his ambition got the best of him. So he went much further than he originally intended to. He got so far that pretty soon he recognized, wait a minute, I don't have the energy nor the time to make it back. So what he did is he overexerted himself trying to make it back to his original destination. The sun is coming down. He can see half of it has already made its way at the earth. He can only see half of the sun. He's fighting there, and he looks at a distance, and he sees the chiefs and the elders there laughing and holding their sides as he is exerting himself, overexerting himself, trying to make it back to his original destination. His body begins to give out. His, his organs begin to shut down. And by the time he made it to his original destination, he made it there. He fell flat on his face. One of his servants came up to him, rolled him over in excitement, thinking that he had accomplished this great feat, only to discover that when he rolled Pahom over, Pahom had died. Gave all that effort and energy, and he let his ambition get the best of him. He worked all that time, man, and he died. 
Here's the message Mantoso is trying to share with all of us that I believe connects with what the Lord is saying to the people of God there. As they are supposed to be rebuilding the temple, they chose to rebuild and try to create a new normal for themselves. You cannot figure out or spend your entirety of your days running this rat races of life trying to just get more and more and more and more. And you can get more and more and more of whatever it is and distance yourself from God. And here's the reality, man. I want to be very clear about this. It is not about you having things. God is okay with you having things. It's about when things have you. And you, you spend your entire days. Young man asked me a little while ago, he asked me starting a new job. He says, you got any, any words for me as I start this new job? I said, yeah, man. I said, don't work uh, your entire youth and then, and then get old and can't enjoy life. I know they pay you a whole lot, but it ain't worth it. Don't give yourself to this world, to this temple, to that temple, and neglect the temple that connects you with God. Haggai's words said, you're going to eat, you're going to remain hungry. You're going to drink and you'll remain thirsty. You're going you're to have clothes, but you ain't going to get what you want and you'll never have enough money. And then God says, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. I blew away. I blew away. I love that. I love that. I blew away. Here's what, here's what he's saying. Um, you, you, you see this about a dozen times in Scripture when he says, I blew away. Uh, if you remember Ezekiel in the valley of dry bones, when the Lord blew, blew breath into the, the lungs of the dry bones and gave them life, that, that's I blew away. In, in Isaiah, in Isaiah, you'll see that when uh, he is there and he is, uh, he's talking about the, the uh, not the potter, but he's talking about the hot coals that turn into flames. That is, he blew it and made uh, that which was hot and turned it into fire. Or Jacob at Bethel, when he received the promise, it is there, he, he blew it and he gave it life. You see it also in Genesis 2 when the Lord takes the bodies and he brew life into the bodies there. There's a couple of things that you see there when he's talking about I blew it away. He's saying that either I can give it life or I can take life from it. So what he's saying to the people of God, to his children there, listen, you're working very hard, but what you need to know, it ain't about what you do with your hands. It's about what I blow on or what I bless. And I'm either going to bless it and give it life, or I'm going to blow it away and take life from it. And what you need to know is you can work as hard as you want, and you can hustle for as long as you want, but if the Lord don't breathe on it, baby, it's not going to prosper. The Lord has to breathe on it. He has to be the one to give it life, man. And listen, there's some of us, man, who need to know that. That the only reason you got what you got, the only reason why you're prospering the way that you are is because the Lord decided to... Yeah, he decided to give it life. The Lord blew on him. And I love this. I love this. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. Because if you move a little forward, let me cut across the field. What happens then is the people adhere to the Word of God. They hear God's voice. And then the Bible tells us that what we see is an expression of grace that takes place. Rather than the Lord giving up on them, He gives them an opportunity to make up for what they did. 
and the people hear God's call, and they respond to God's grace, and they begin the work. But here's where grace steps in. The Lord says to them then, I am with you. Four great words. Four great words. The Lord says, I am with you. Yes, you forgot about me. Yes, you built without me. Yes, I blew things away, but I only did that not to break you down, but because I'm going to build you up. And now that you have recommitted yourself to me, I want you to know that I am with you. And my brothers and sisters, you can look through Scripture. When the Lord says, I'm with you, things happen. Yeah, things happen. He told, he told Jacob that as he was at the well at Bethel when God made his promise to him. He said to Jacob, I am with you. As Joseph was struggling in Potiphar's house and then in prison, what you see is that the Lord was with them. When Moses was at the burning bush and God issues the call, he says to Moses, I am with you. When Joshua was struggling with the loss of Moses and they were trying to move forward, the Lord says, I am with you. When Gideon was going up with his little 300 against the mighty Midianites, the Lord says, I am with you. And as a matter of fact, when it comes to you and I, brothers and sisters, you and I, when God called us, he sent a baby by the name of Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The Lord is with you. He issued that promise for you to hold on to that no matter what you're going through, no matter how great the task ahead may be, the God of the Lord of the heaven said, I am with you. All right, all right. Last thing, last thing. We got to go. I keep saying that. And George says, I keep telling stories. Last thing. Uh, there's a familiar phrase in verse 14. We talked about it last week. He says, uh, after they accepted the call and started the work, the Bible says that the Lord stirred up the hearts of Zerubbabel, Joshua, all the priests and Levites, and all of the people. Well, you remember last week we talked about that. If you were here present and awake, you remember that when it says stir up in Ezra, the word stir up means that the Lord has awakened something on the inside of you. And last week we looked at it from the aspect that there were some who were awakened and some who were still asleep. What we see this week is that there were some who awakened who eventually went to sleep, yet the Lord calls them to be awakened again. What I love about that is that it communicates to us that this is the God of a second chance. That as we are trying to figure out this new normal, that as we have made our mistakes, trying to return to the same old way things used to be, trying to recover the things that we used to have and to have things our way, what God is saying, I know what you've been experiencing, and I know that you've been experiencing a time of great grief and discouragement. I'm aware of all the lives who have been lost through the global pandemic. I'm aware of everything that's happening in your community and within the culture. I know what's happening on the political scene and I know how your hands feel weak but I want you to know that I still have something that I expect out of you and not only do I expect it out of you I am going to strengthen your hands not only am I going to strengthen your hands I'm going to awaken your spirit and I feel like today there's somebody and I got to take my seat there's somebody in here that God has been speaking to you and God has been trying to awaken what's been sleep on the inside of you so that you can do the thing that he's been done told you to do. It's nothing new. It's nothing revolutionary. It's nothing radical. It's simply what thus says the Lord. And you've been waiting for the right time. You've been waiting for the right opportunity. You've been waiting for the right amount of resources. And God says, the time is now. 
The resources are in my hand and the opportunity is yours. Wake up and do what the Lord called you to do. It is time now for you to walk into this opportunity. God says when now. If not now, then when? If not you, then who? God wants it right now. It's your time to do what God called you to do. When? Right now. Your hands have been weak and you've been discouraged. It's okay. God can heal that. God will fix that and give you exactly what you need so that you can find yourself exactly where you need to be. Amen? Amen. Come on, send all of this room. Let's get ready to go.